0: my name is Guja Stanislavski and this is another edition of our program and as yesterday I'm coming for you to you from downtown Sofia it's uh, 8 15 a.m. in the morning it's Saturday the 2nd of April and uh, I'm on my way to work I just had my morning coffee and before I get to work I thought I will I will make this short video because of the news coming oh, and it's gonna be a working weekend for me like uh, pretty much anytime I come down here to Sofia I will Make this short video because I wanted to comment on uh, on the war vis-à-vis the yesterday's event, which was the successful attack carried out by the Ukrainian armed forces on fuel depots in the town of Belgorod, which is located 35, 36 kilometers, approximately, from east from the Russian-Ukrainian border, on Russian territory. And, uh, you know, it's an event that has sent shockwaves through uh, the Russian public opinion, at least judging by, you know, what I read this morning, early this morning in the Russian media. Wow, I mean, there are even elements of uh, panic in the general discourse. You know, people are asking questions, and like, you know, let let alone the journalists and the reporters, but people, you know, in the comment sections and their... uh, uh, some of the articles—they are asking questions like, "What the hell are we losing now?" Um, was the West right and stuff like that? And you know, I thought that it makes sense to use this uh, opportunity, to use this occasion, to discuss the to discuss um, the kind of Russian approach that we know so little about. Uh, but there are some things, there are some facts which are completely undisputable, I would say, and uh, which deserve commentary and this is what I intend to provide now first of all I want to say that this is obviously uh, a disaster I mean this thing for the Russians to get attacked by the Ukrainian military of which they spoke in uh, with such a contempt and with 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 such a um, they kind of they looked down on it in a very humiliating manner before the war had started. And then you know, Putin also delivering his rather weird and unhinged speeches before uh, the twenty-fourth of February, that is before the day this what they call a special operation denazify and the militarized Ukraine begun. He called, you know, the Ukrainian government Ukrainian authorities, a bunch of drug addicts, and and idiots, and what have you, and now, this, and also, prior to that, prior to this uh, war, and uh, prior to the escalation that led to the war, I remember putting, making this point many, many times over, that Russia is now prepared to face any enemy in a way that there will never be any more war on Russian soil, on Russian territory. And he kept repeating that for the last I don't know how many years, and well, Vladimir Vladimirovich so much for never... Uh, never again war on Russian territory. I <clears throat> I think that we should not really attach uh, too much importance to this because, uh, well, this is just a one-off event and obviously uh, the Russian army is going to uh, I mean, we should not attach too much importance in terms of military uh, you know, military development of the situation Because quite clearly uh, the Russian army is going to be able now to secure or strengthen the security of those areas in the vicinity of the border while I know some other areas, they're probably going to examine their defense options and uh, things like, you know, options are going to be put in place to prevent such things happening uh, in the future but uh, you know the thing is that we have now those two narratives, one coming from the West and one coming from the East. The one that, the Western narrative, I have spoken many times about it and uh, I really find it to be utterly ridiculous to claim that the Russian army is losing big time and that the Russian soldiers are demoralized and drunk and uh, they're all running away, leaving behind their most modern equipment. Uh, that that makes no sense this is straight up lies uh, but also the Russian narrative is uh, uh, is lifeful and you know it's not helping and it's not helping to understand the situation it's not helping to understand when the where the Russian army is going it's not helping to understand where uh, what are really the objectives what are the end game uh, what is the end game uh, I uh, I think that the Russians are in a much better situation than the West and they can afford not to lie to their public opinion because everybody is behind them in Russia. So they don't have to lie, you know, they don't have to pretend, but they do. And moreover, they do it in a very clumsy way. The Russians have no idea of PR, marketing, you know, kind of skillful communication and stuff like that. They They have no idea. As my colleague, Maria Chernat, who's a media theoretician, uh, stressed a few times uh, on our programs, you know, the Russians, they never had to do things like that, they never had to sort of manipulate the public opinion into, I don't know, supporting this or that uh, political force. They've never operated in conditions of uh, liberal democracy, right? So. They didn't have to develop those skills. And, uh, you know, today they're losing the information war, hands down, obviously. But uh, I'm talking about the global information war here. But, But what was much worse is that, you know, the Russian public opinion will start to see through that, or they already see through that. You know, they keep supporting the Russian authorities and the Russian army, despite the fact that they know they are being, they're they're not being treated fairly. And I think this is just, you know, provoking irritation, which will come to its boiling point at one moment. And people are just going to stop rallying behind Putin and uh, his administration and the Russian army if occurrences like that uh, keep happening. And I don't know to what extent they realize that, because uh, quite honestly, you know, when I look at what they're doing, uh, not militarily, but in terms of communicating their achievements or supposed achievements, you know, when I, I, I follow, for example, the briefings of the Russian Ministry of Defense, and it's just getting increasingly annoying. Like, first of all, this guy, this general, that provides those briefings every evening, Unfortunately, I forgot his name, but you know, someone should replace him with someone more communicative, if that's a word. Uh, someone who really can communicate things better. This guy looks like he just, he had just swollen a stick. And, uh, and, you know, the way he speaks, actually, if you, you know, if you had a computer-generated automatic speech, I think it would be more convincing and kind of more inspiring. than uh, than this, than this guy. And also, you know, those claims that are being, uh, um, that are being constantly, that are being enforced on the public opinion that everything is going good, everything's going according to plan, uh, everything is predictable, or in every every situation uh, that we're in, was part of our strategy of our tactics the uh, phase one uh, of the operation was completed absolutely successfully no mistakes were made like you know this is just so utterly stupid like this is really intelligence offending uh, discourse and uh you know i can understand that the westerners think about russians that they are stupid, but why would their own government think that about them? This is something that I don't quite understand, especially that, you know, the Russian public opinion, the Russian society has demonstrated that they are able to go kind of, I know, out of their way, to make sacrifices and to support this mm, military operation and to, uh, uh, you know, to Endure all kinds of hardships, you know, related to sanctions and the isolation of Russia and so on. And they're getting this. And, you know, at one moment, uh, at one moment, this, this is going to, to become very, very difficult for the Russian authorities to manage, I'm afraid. But, you know, that's, that's their problem. I don't know how they want to deal with this and if they really have any idea how to deal with this what I, what I'm going to say is that they should have been much more transparent in my opinion about it, Of course, not revealing their tactics and strategies and what they're going to do here or there, what object are they going to destroy or what object or what place are they were they going to attack not, not not those details, of course. but you know we we really have no idea about what what do they want. They said they want to the Nazi fight war, you know Putin said. They uh, will na- denazify and demilitarize Ukraine, and uh, you know it was defined very vaguely. But I guess uh, it's supposed to mean that you know they're going to limit the capacity of the Ukrainian armed forces to the extent that they are they pose no threat whatsoever to the you, uh, to the Russian Federation, and they're going to eliminate they're going to eliminate those far right battalions, militias, whatever you want to call them. You know the Azov guys, Aidar guys, C-14 tornayo and you know all the rest of this uh, of this gang. Uh, but but apart from that, we, we really have no idea. Like for example, take the uh, the territories that were uh, that were uh, taken over by the Russian military. W- what is what is supposed to happen now? Like, okay, the front is moving forward, and uh, and and you know, no, like a vacuum is being left behind, and there were already reports, some of which I find, uh, some of which I find credible, that uh, you know, in those abandoned uh, towns, villages, and, and uh, places abandoned in a, in, in a sense that, you know, the, Ar- the Russian army just went through and then, you know, kept moving forward, that uh, Ukrainian authorities are re-emerging with the help of some local militias, territorial defense, and stuff like that, because, you know, the Russian army has come in and gone, and that's it. And, you know, everybody, things are just left behind like this. And not only it is dangerous because uh, it's a it's a restoration, okay? Of ah, let me let me tell you something before I continue this thought. So behind me you can see Sofia's biggest, most important sightseeing spot, uh, the Cathedral of uh, Alexander Nevsky Cathedral. Cathedral. It's uh, it's built as uh, as a kind of thank you gesture uh, to the Russian soldiers liberating Bulgaria in 19th century, the end of 19th century. Uh, there's a lot I could tell you about this church, but uh, I don't have time right now, so we're gonna get back to this spot a little later on. And uh, I promise I will, I will give you a more detailed explanation about this object. So, uh, you know, the Russian troops move on and behind them, there's this vacuum, which uh, there are cases, as I said, that the Ukrainians are restoring their power there, which, you know, I mean, it clearly makes no sense. I just don't understand how you would not create some kind of military uh, military civilian administration, tempor- temporary at least, so that you can, you know, secure your back. I, again, I'm not a military expert. I have no idea how those things, uh, you know, should be working, what is the art, uh, here, what, what, is, what are the golden standards, so to say, but quite clearly this was a, a terrible mistake uh, not, to, um, not to do that. Uh, then, uh, you know, the question of, for example, the surrounding of Kiev, again, like, you know, they surrounded the city, but they never took it over. Uh, most likely, you know, some of our guests who really know about war and Warcraft uh, pointed out, that the Russians have uh, hoped to uh, carry out some kind of quick decapitation strike within the first 72 hours or something and just take over Kiev and make, uh, create like conditions for the emergence of a pro Russian government or something like this, like, like this, and it didn't happen. Then, uh, you know, some argue also uh, in the Russian and Belarusian media that uh, the major mistake was that they hoped. That, you know after the front would move west uh, that uh, the kind of pro-Russian elements in the Ukrainian elite which were suppressed during uh, uh, Poroshenko's and uh, Zelensky's term behind me you can see the Sofia University the biggest university in Bulgaria main entrance the main kind of yeah, well, the main part of, of, of the campus, the main building. Uh, let me just sit down here for a while in the park, uh, right across the street from the university. So uh, they they probably hoped for for the pro-Russian elements in uh, in, in, in the Ukrainian uh, in yeah in the Ukrainian elite to uh, take over, like you know that certain territories would be, as the Russians say, liberated, and then immediately those people would step in and would create all the the kind of alternative uh, power centers uh, that would start to collaborate with Russia and that would, you know, uh, act in accordance with uh, the requirements of the Russian army, and uh, that they would create police and secure some kind of order uh, so that, you know, uh, pathologies like looting, Uh, wouldn't occur and other criminal activity would be prevented. But this is not what happened. And, you know, again, the Russian authorities, instead of just admitting that they made a mistake, an honest mistake, they thought that the the pro-Russian Ukrainians would support this war, or what they call the special operation, they just went like, Oh, no, they betrayed us. This is an act of treason on the part of those people. Like, guys, you just invaded their country. What treason are you talking about? Those people are just not friendly to you anymore. Like after 80 years of living in this kind of Ukraine, in, in, in Ukraine, which you yourself have described as like, you know, far right, Nazi, anti-Russia, uh, you know, at the doorstep of Russia. Like how how in the world is it even possible that you in your right mind ever expected that now people are going to cheer? Or, you know, <clears throat> on you entering their homes with machine guns in uh, your soldiers' hands. Like, I just don't, I can't quite rub my head around this. But again, you know, Perhaps there's something I don't understand here, and it's also, you know, my conclusions are also based on a certain lack of knowledge that the Russian side could have provided. They could have informed the public opinion in Russia, the international public opinion, that our objectives here and there are such and such, we're going to be doing this and that. And uh, you know, like they could have at least in a vague, in a vague manner described the technical endgame of this uh, special operation, okay? And actually, you know, even the notion of special operation, why would you do that? Why do you? You don't have to lie. You can just go, uh, you know, you can be straightforward about it. You can say that this is a war against Ukraine, which has been captured by those far right forces. You know, this nationalistic trends, nationalistic far right, Nazi, whatever, you know, trends which were unleashed uh, by the 2014 coup which used to be marginal or used to be mar- at least, you know, uh, suppressed to the extent that they posed no threat to uh, to Eastern Ukrainians or to the Russian Federation and so on and so forth, that it's also a war waged on NATO presence in Russia, and that would have made it much easier for you. You wouldn't have to, you know, uh, now uh, kind of maneuver and try to find the correct phrases to, uh, to, to kind of make it all stick to the initial narrative. Uh, or, or, to the overhauling uh, kind of idea that everything is going all right, everything is going all right, if you had said from the beginning that this is a war, people would have taken much easier that you know the territory of Russia in the vicinity of the border has been attacked and in a successful manner attacked that is you know the depots uh, that were taken out by the Russian, uh, sorry by the Ukrainian military in Belgorod so b- because this is a war, and you know in a war situation, you expect that yes well, I mean okay you 're the attacking side, but you know the defense. Of the country or of the whatever the the entity that you're attacking you know they actually might uh, they might attack some of your positions including those positions which are not on the front line but uh, on the front line but beyond the front line and also you know if you had admitted from the beginning that you're in war and you would not I really sometimes get the feeling that they were deluding themselves the Russians like that they are not at war with, with Ukraine and, you know, they repeated that many times that we're not at war with the Ukrainian nation, we're not at war even with the Ukrainian army. Well, and now it turns out that they are like, you know, the <clears throat> the reality had to correct their uh, idea and I, I don't quite understand how this is, uh, why is this happening this way, but okay, that's, that's like, again, I mean, if they had communicated more, I would have had like, more to chew on and perhaps analyze and perhaps uh, come to different conclusions but the conclusions that I can make on the basis of what I see okay are exactly those like guys uh, had this plan A which they thought they're going to end everything within 72 hours or I don't know maybe four days or something like that with a quick decapitation strike in Kiev then it didn't work so uh, they thought that you know they perhaps could you know somehow like negotiate their way through that's why they only engaged like uh, a small tiny portion of their armed forces and they were hoping to uh, you know those armed forces they were hoping to perhaps you know strike a deal here and there with local bureaucrats that they thought uh, are are pro-Russian you know in the Ukraine's east and that you know uh, those those bureaucrats would help them perhaps uh, you know uh, talk the Ukrainian armed forces located in those regions, not to respond to Russians entering the to, to the Russian troops entering those areas, but it, none of this happened. Like none of this happened according to the uh, to, to the Russian fantasy or idea. The Ukrainians have put up one hell of a fight, uh, and, uh, and and in, in the first days of the operation, again according to what I read in the media. I don't know to what extent those reports are correct. But it seems like uh, you know the the initial stage was uh, of this initial stage of this 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 kind of alternative uh, uh, alternative approach that they had to uh, they had to go for uh, ended in in some kind of disaster. Like you know, many of the uh, 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 many of of the Russian troops were ambushed and, and were just slaughtered. And uh, they had to uh, maybe not necessarily retreat, but they had to regroup and they had to uh, uh, they had to go for a much more aggressive stance. And you know before you know this, this kind of uh, response, before this kind of uh, before this experience actually was reported to Moscow, before all the you know, uh, congregations were made there to take, you know, uh, the political decision to change the approach and so on and so forth. You know, things were happening on the ground. And uh, and, and, and I, th- again, I think, I don't know, uh, I, I don't know for sure, but it seems like they had to... Um, well, they suffered a lot of losses because of this, because of their naivety and so on and so forth. And one would think, and I thought that, that okay, well, this didn't work, the other thing didn't work, so we uh, resort to whatever the plan C, plan B, plan D, whatever, you know, the next, the next plan in line that they have had. And I'm not quite sure whether they've actually had the next plan. Now, when I'm looking at things, you know, uh, considering what I said earlier about you know the front moving forward. You know the forces around Kiev, surrounding the city, not doing pretty much anything except for like you know taking, uh, uh, t- taking some, uh, taking over the area, the areas around Kiev. Uh, but of course, of course, this is just one part of the story. Okay, the other part of the story is Mariupol and uh, the region of Ukraine southeast where I'm pretty sure that this is where the war is going to be decided. Like, this is where the, according to to reports, which seem to be a consensus, like, you know, the Russian media say that, and the uh, Western media, some Western media say that as well, the same thing, that is that the Ukrainian forces, the, the strongest, the most powerful, the most capable elements of The Ukrainian army are located there in Donbass and you know it used to be uh, in Mariupol which is a city completely totally destroyed now it's just one wreck of a city and uh, it's still being cleared from these Azov guys and again we had this weird occurrence like uh, four helicopters two of which actually escaped they were evacuating uh, those Azov guys and there are some rumors that there were some uh, Western commanders there or Western advisors or I don't know some Western people uh, I don't know. I cannot corroborate that. I just, you know, came across uh, <clears throat> this sort of info. Uh, but anyway, the two, uh, two, yeah, two days ago, four helicopters uh, were uh, were able to land in Azovstal, which is uh, a huge steel mill mill uh, in uh, Mariupol, and uh, and and that's where. The remnants of those uh, far-right militias, battalions, uh, teams, whatever, are are still defending themselves. And, and, you know, four helicopters came to uh, rescue someone, I don't know, maybe all of those people there. Uh, And uh, we know that the Russians were only able to take down two of those helicopters. And at the same time, the Russian media are claiming, some of the Russian media are claiming that there were some high-ranking NATO people there so why wouldn't they be able to actually take down all of the four helicopters I you you know and and again you know no admission that you know mistakes are being made losses are being suffered and all the rest of it I just don't understand this why are why are the Russians so stubborn not to uh, you know not to admit those obvious things Uh, so this is where this region uh, Mariupol and north of Mariupol uh, where, where the most capable uh, Ukrainian forces are collected and this is why I suppose uh, the forces from around Kiev, which are no longer needed there because obviously uh, the Russians have completely given up on the idea of taking over Kiev. again something that is not being communicated something that I have to somehow uh, you know, I have to conclude on my own, and I don't know whether this conclusion is correct. But it seems that uh, they're they're taking those forces, you know, to the south, to the southeast, because they want to encircle, surround, and utterly destroy those elements of the um, uh, <clears throat> of the Ukrainian armed forces there. And I think this is going to be a bloodbath. I mean, I I think this is going to be a long uh, military. Struggle with a lot of uh, blood spilled on both uh, sides, and uh, I I suppose it's inevitable in a sense that, since in a sense that, look, I mean, they they the Russians decided to wage this war. Now they have to finish it in one way or another, and uh, you know again, I suppose that you know once this is finished off, like once this uh, major major operation of major offensive. Uh, is completed, they're gonna move I don't know, to the south and finish off things around Nikolaev and probably move to Odessa and create the kind of uh, uh, land corridor to Transnistria Uh, and uh, again, afterwards, I don't know what is going to happen, I don't know what they're gonna do about Kiev I don't know what they're gonna do about uh, Ukraine's west, I just you know, I'm I'm really puzzled I'm really perplexed uh, by all that is happening uh, there, so uh, uh, probably occurrences like the one that prompted me to create this video, which is the Belgorod incident, and uh, Mm. this is probably not going to be repeated, this is not going to be allowed to happen again, but I think this is a major loss in terms of, not so much in, in military terms, maybe. I, again, I don't know how important those fuel depots were for, uh, from the point of view of carrying out uh, this operation, this war. And it really should be called for what it is. It's war. I mean, I, I I don't... I can't wrap my head around, you know, the Russians doing this, this, this nonsense, you know, and, and uh, claiming that this is just like some some military operation, you know, we're going to do this and that, and they don't even say exactly what they're going to do, they they just vaguely define you know, denazification and demilitarization, and and that's it so when is the demilitarization going to be over, when is the the denazification going to be over, I understand that it should be over soon but okay, let's say the uh, Ukrainian Army's ca- capabilities are limited to the extent to, to some kind of minimal extent. okay? Let's say that uh, the azov guys and you know their friends from other you know IDARs and C14s and stuff like that are, are eliminated, killed, destroyed, taken prisoner, or whatever. And then what? Like w- what is going to happen afterwards? You're all going to pull out. <laughs> That's uh, I, I kind of I'm trying to think about uh, I'm trying to put myself in the shoes of those people in East Ukraine. Who are now trembling, probably not only because of the bombs falling, you know, and 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 missiles, uh, and, and shelling, and you know the situation of war, which is horrible, okay, for them. But if if when they don't know, when they don't know what is going to happen, they gotta be trembling in their uh, shoes because one option is that the Russian army. Uh, and they might be thinking, oh, "The Russian army is just going to pull out at one moment." Well, okay, demilitarization completed, denazification completed. Thank you, goodbye. We're back now, and th- then those people—they <laughs> could just start, uh, you know, hanging themselves, you know, committing some kind of collective suicide. Because I don't even want to think what kind of what kind of tortures they're going to be subjected to if the forces. Uh, if, if the official Ukrainian forces, if the as the Russians like to refer to the Kiev regime, takes those territories back over, what kind of inferno they're going to cook up for those people there? So, uh, yeah, I'm. I just wanted to use this opportunity to kind of uh, to explain and to signal perhaps my disappointment with, you know, how those things are being handled by the Russians. And and, uh, and 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 that you know just to to point out that you know the Russian narrative is uh, is really constructed in a way that no no one who observes or is trying to observe the situation in Ukraine closely can believe. Uh, I I still you know don't think that there's any remote chance even that the Ukrainian army would win this war, but nonetheless, I really find it, uh, find it very, very uh, weird for the Russians to behave as they do. Anyway, I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna get to work now. Thank you so much for your attention. Thank you for joining me on this program, and uh, I'll see you again very soon. Goodbye. (laughs) we